Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The silence were created by man. Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I'm Jamie Smith and I've never in- climbed inside a living thing to survive. Joining me is my co-host Diallo Jackson. What do you think is worse? The inside of a Cylon Raider or the inside of a Tauntaun? I knew you were going to say Tauntaun actually. <laughs> um, I think it Tauntaun's worse. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's. Because it's all biological? Yeah, it's like all biological. Like you just saw the guts spill out. <laughs> like, you know, Tauntauns are like oddly cute. Yeah. I don't know. So, I, yeah, definitely a Tauntaun would be worse. You have like, you have room to move around in the Cylon Raider. So, kind of. It'd be better. Yeah. Well, I figured we would take a few minutes here at the start for you to tell us about the plot from Galactica 1980, the episode that you said that you thought this one was sort of based on. Yeah. Um, in the words of Invoke, and now it's time for a breakdown. <laughs> um, oh, I almost started singing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you know when I, back when I originally watched this episode, um, you know it had been it had been like a little while since I had seen uh, the original Battlestar Galactica and like Galactica nineteen eighty. I don't I don't really think I had seen. I might have seen it like in passing on like Sci Fi Channel or something when they showed reruns back in the day. But uh, my main recollection of that episode was. Um, it was, I think it was the very last episode of Galactica 1980, which was, for anyone that has, like, that, like doesn't know, they had, uh, the original Battlestar Galactica show was on for just a year, and then it went away for, you know, hiatus, and um, basically, my assumption was that it was way too expensive, and some executives wanted to, like, retool it to make it cheaper, so the next season... Um, 1980 they made it to earth they were all of a sudden were there so they had a lot more scenes like actually on earth and they rode around on motorcycles and stuff like that um but then that show was terrible and but then they had the very last episode oh and also like almost none of the cast from the original return like um lauren green was back as adama and there were a few others but like you know Richard Hatch and Starbuck, all those characters, the main characters were all gone, Athena. But then the very last episode was called The Return of Starbuck. And it was basically sort of like a flashback episode to something that had happened prior. So there was a character on Galactica 1980, he was like a like a brain kid. He was like really smart and he was kind of an alien type uh He's kind of weird. Dr. Z, I think his name was. And it the episode opens with him having this dream about, like, the, his origins. And he's like, I think I come from somewhere else. And then um, Adama is like, what are you having these dreams? That's my uh, Lauren Green voice. Um, <laughs> so um, so he kind of gets, he, he has Dr. Z retell this story. And basically... This dream was um, of this incident years prior where Starbuck was on his last mission 
Um, he's flying with Boomer. Um, they take out some Cylons, but Starbuck's ship gets damaged. Um, so Boomer um, and Starbuck are like, you know, trying to figure out what they can do. Uh, Boomer ends up having to go back to Galactica. Starbuck is kind of, um, you know, resigned to the fact that he won't be able to get back because he knows the ship's going to have to leave because the Cylons are after him. He's by this planet, uh, lands on the planet, back on the Galactica. And I'm telling you this because as I was watching You Can't Go Home Again, it was even more clear that this was taken directly from that episode. Um, there's a whole sequence with uh, Lauren Green Adama basically um, trying to come to grips with having to leave Starbuck behind. Um, and it's a very emotional, like kind of soliloquy he gives, um, but uh, he ends up having to leave and they take off. Starbucks on this planet by himself. And then he uh, just tries to figure out how to survive. He goes, uh, kind of walks across the planet um, and he stumbles across a Cylon Raider. And then eventually he, uh, it, he finds one of the Cylons and because he's lonely, <laughs> he starts to uh, fix one of them. And that Cylon, he's able to fix the Cylon and that Cylon ends up becoming his friend after like, you know, the rest of the episode. And that's kind of where it, the similarities end with our show and, or the new Battlestar Galactica and the old Battlestar Galactica, um, that episode, or Galactica 1980, that episode involved the, the Cylon actually recognizing that Starbuck was lonely <laughs> and goes, like, wanders away and comes back with a woman. <laughs> and this woman was pregnant, and the Cylon Raider comes back uh, another Cylon Raider comes back to find the one that had crashed and uh, the Cylon fights off the other Cylons, but then he kind of like dies, but they send that woman and the, um, with the baby away. Um, and that, that ship ends up back at the Galactica. And that's why the kid was having visions because it turns out he was the kid in the ship. And um, Starbuck is quote unquote, his father, even though he wasn't, like his biological father. And then from there, um, the similarities kind of end there. But when I was watching it, it actually started to inform to me something uh, greater about Battlestar Galactica because it's there's a lot of mystical uh, quasi-religious stuff that the, re the reimagined show kind of skirts around. Um, but the old school show actually kind of like had some elements that really dove into some stuff and Starbuck actually, from my understanding, after that episode ends up kind of becoming one of these, uh, beings of the light that are meant to, to help guide humans to their final destination. Um, so find that interesting because that's another element of the show that we encounter much later in Battlestar Galactica, but it, it remains very vague. And I th think that's why a lot of people were um, unsatisfied with that part because they didn't really, I don't know if they had the background from the original show to kind of understand that this was pulling from the original and it wasn't just something that was just coming out of nowhere. But anyways, that is my really long rant about um, the similarities between uh, You Can't Go Home Again and The Return of Starbuck. Not a rant. A retelling. <laughs> um, Just like Battlestar Galactica. So I have a quote for you from the mm -hmm. writer of this episode. Her name was Carla Robinson. Mm-hmm. She said that she was not aware of the Galactica 1980 episode or mm -hmm. that series at all. Mm -hmm. So the homage, if anything, didn't come from her. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there was any direction to her from Ron Moore or whoever. 
but she had no idea that there was anything remotely similar. And she said that she chose the title You Can't Go Home Again as an homage to the Thomas Wolfe book because she saw Starbuck's storyline as being reminiscent of the storyline in that novel. I don't know if that changes how you feel, but I just read not that at today. All. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, it's not like the way writers' rooms work. It's not like she's not writing in a vacuum, you know? Right. So like Ron Moore would have like plotted everything out and I assume he when he got the Battlestar Galactica gig I don't know how much of the show he knew but he probably likely watched the entire original show mm-hmm. um there's some other there's some other um like over the course of the series there's some other like things that directly came from the original show so it's not like you know like Pegasus there's some other there's some other things so it's not like you know beyond the scope of reason to to kind of see those parallels. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that she never watched it is almost immaterial. Um, you know, it's like when you're in the writer's room, they Starbucks crashes on the planet. And, yeah. You know, so. Um, so, yeah, doesn't really change anything. Okay. For I just me. thought it was interesting. And yeah. And it's pretty like if you if you actually go back and watch the I re, I rewatched that the return of Starbucks. uh like recently just because i i was getting super curious and then watched you can't go home again it's like it's like the you know in a in a broad sense the plot points are like almost direct um it's just sort of like a a retelling um within the new battle star mode of more quote-unquote realism Mm -hmm. yeah all right well then let's get into you can't go home again uh, from this Battlestar Galactica, 2004, 3, not 80. Yeah, I think we were in 2004 by now, I think. So we start with Boomer bringing Hot Dog back to the Galactica. There's a quick debrief, and Hot Dog tells them that he thinks that Starbuck was able to maneuver her Viper, but he didn't see where it ended up. I can't remember what the situation was with Hot Dog when she got hit. I know it was a little chaotic, but she took out most of those raiders on her Mm -hmm. own. So I don't remember why he wouldn't have had eyes on her. But anyway, search party goes out to find her and they are basically like searching the space around where the battle had happened. And they don't know that she yet has crashed onto this moon i was a little unclear when i was watching it so because there was the there was there was a uh viper that was floating that was hot dogs viper and not starbucks yeah because starbucks okay yeah starbucks went into the went into the gravity well yeah yeah went into the gravity well. okay yeah so she wakes up on this moon just in time to cut herself loose from her parachute before she's dragged over a cliff and she slams her knee into a rock which will continue to be important. So then we are four hours into the search and they haven't found any evidence of her. And while several episodes ago, Adama made it a point to tell Rosalind that we don't guess, he asks Gaeta to guess where might she be. Mm. Mm -hmm. And what they land on is there's this like gas giant and there's a moon and Ty very unhelpfully is like, well, she went into the gas giant. She's dead. So Adama's like, let's check the moon. So they assume that the gravity well pulled her into it and, or at least they hope that it did because no one other than maybe Ty is willing to even entertain the thought that Starbuck is dead. Ty is concerned that the Cylons are going to come looking for their missing squadron, but Adama thinks that it'll be a couple days, like three days at most. Yeah, just in general, I just I kept laughing at Ty because, like, he he wasn't wrong about anything he was saying, but you know, he also like 
wanted to get rid of Starbuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just was funny. But he was actually like 100% right about everything also. So to the point where he became a snitch, you know. <laughs> Um, Adama orders the pilots to fly into the moon's atmosphere since no one can see anything through the cloud cover from a distance. And at this point, Rosalind, who is over on Colonial One, hears about the missing pilot and offers civilian ships to help in the search. I don't think we ever get an explanation of why Baltar is in her office. Um, he gives her a folder, but we never really know what they're talking about, do we? And no, the... They, it was actually funny because it just that whole scene made me just feel like they planted him there just so they could have the interaction um, because he's never really had that relationship with her yeah. in that regard till then. Yeah, yeah, it's this opportunity for Six to mess with him. Her jealousy of Starbuck seems to me to have more to do with the things that she's saying than the fact that they may or may not be from her Cylon brain. Mm -hmm. So immediately Baltar starts objecting to them, like hanging around and, and looking like tries to get her to force everyone to jump away before the Cylons come back to pick them all off because the civilian ships will be so spread out. They won't be able to protect them. And that's our only Baltar scene in this episode. So it's interesting that there's quite a few, I think the last, like, maybe three episodes where he's basically in one scene. So Lee has a hard time seeing anything on his search of the moon because there's so much crap in the atmosphere. And on the surface, Starbuck is searching for higher ground, hoping that that will help her be seen by a rescue party. It's weird because this episode has a lot that happens in it, but it's pretty quick as far as yeah. talking about it yeah i was actually kind of thinking that um how fast this episode seemed to go yeah <laughs> compared to other ones uh yeah but you know same run same run time as, as all the others yeah. um the last episode we had so much to dig into and this one is really just a big rescue mission yeah a lot of it was like we can't we're going in um and they come back and they talk about how difficult it is. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Well, this is when we get our scene on Caprica. Hilo and Sharon have been able to get some rest in that fallout shelter that they found. He leaves her in a hammock to get some more sleep while he goes to make them breakfast. And just as he puts some bread in a toaster, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> so on the nose <laughs> he even has a little red light on it y yeah <laughs> um two centurions come in he hides from them and might have been okay if it weren't for that toast which pops up and the centurions open fire i don't remember sharon coming upstairs but i remember like hilo yells at her to run or get to safety and when everything is all over, he can't find her anywhere. Yeah, she comes upstairs and she, it was kind of like she, she was, I mean, she didn't know things were going going down, I think. And then she gets caught in the crossfire and stuff. Uh, I, in my notes uh, right before that, when he's talking to her, before all of that stuff goes down, he's like, I'm going to go cook some breakfast or something. I, I wrote down creepy Hilo. Because uh, he was kind of sitting over her hovering, and it felt really awkward. Um, but then I also wrote, uh, I think I'm falling in love with uh, Grace Park myself again. <laughs> so <laughs> the Cylons, uh, the Cylon seduction tactics are, are very intricate. They work very well. <laughs> well, don't check out her recent hairstyle because it's, I don't know what she's doing. I think I saw. Was it like a kind of her hair? Is it kind of blown out or something? Um, I watched the show A Million Little Things that she's on, and mm -hmm. in this season, it's almost like a mullet. I am yeah. not a fan. Yeah, that's the one I think I saw. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't know. I mean, she's still beautiful. I just don't like the hairstyle. Yeah. <clears throat> so back to the moon. 
Starbuck has found this raider, the one that she shot down when she sees, or when she gets close to it, she sees that she was basically able to shoot it in its head. And she's mm-hmm. pretty proud of herself for her. And she's a sniper. <laughs> her good aim. <laughs> Meanwhile, the search for her is not going well. Whatever's in this atmosphere is messing with the vipers. So they keep coming back to the Galactica completely needing to be repaired. Uh, uh, one thing I one thing I noticed about uh, just when she was coming up on the Viper, um, just they were sort of they were establishing her, her her belief in the Lords of Cobalt and her religion. Oh yeah, um, which is a, it actually is come it becomes a important piece of later this season but like over the course of the show she's definitely you know she's a believer in these old beliefs that you know keep getting confronted along the the route of the show yeah she's like asking for basically like a sign yeah and um you know there's i remember there's you know some other she has her little idols or whatever and other scenes and stuff so i just thought, I thought it was like an interesting like you know uh character note or beat um you know and I, i'm gonna go back to <laughs> i'm gonna go back to galactica 1980 in uh because there was this whole idea in that return of starbeck episode where uh you know when that being of light woman shows up her name was angela um she kept saying how you are, you know, she's just like, you're almost ready to evolve. You're being chosen. It kind of mirrors what our Starbuck now is going through and will go through. Her name was Angela. Yeah, it was 1980. Like, everything was on the nose. Like, Galactica 1980 was terrible. <laughs> it was It was so bad. They made it to Earth and, like, they had these uh, like the kids on Galactica, like they were trying to integrate them secretly, but they they got there and they had, they had like superpowers and they could like jump really high and they called them like super scouts. It was, it was, it was so bad. Yeah, it sounds. It was so bad. It sounds exactly like what I thought Battlestar Galactica was, which was why I didn't watch this show when it first came out because mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. uh, no thanks. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad even I in my like about it, but yeah, like even in my little kid brain, when I watched it, I was like, "This is not, this is not what I signed up for." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was completely different. I think I, you know, I mentioned that too. Like, but there's a there's some shows that the sci-fi shows of the late '70s, early '80s kind of did that a lot because I think they, you know, couldn't justify the budgets often, so they they kind of like ditched the concept and made everything on Earth mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, like Buck Rogers did that, or they didn't make it on Earth, but they just changed the changed the setup so they could use a lot of like location shoots and um, uh, when they did the Masters of the Universe movie, it was like instead of being on Eternia in a fantasy movie, they like set on Earth. <laughs> it's, oh, I kind of remember it's, that. Yeah, it's like it's it was rough. It was rough growing up. <laughs> so I appreciate a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> the things that I see now, even though, you know, even when they're not the greatest, I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta love this because, you know, I could never, I could never get something this good when I was, when I was a kid. Yeah. Kids these <laughs> days don't know how good they have it. No, they don't. Okay. On the Galactica, Adama is refusing to abandon this search. They're basing their time frame on a guess of how much oxygen Starbucks still has and it is running out. He's not, he's not going to give up. Starbuck, meanwhile, finds the hatch to climb inside of the radar. And we get our thesis statement about the show when she asks it, mm-hmm. are you alive? Yeah. And she cuts through this like layer of muscle and tissue and climbs inside. Um, my notes are that the inside of the radar is like a combination of mechanical and biological material which I always thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and again, that it's kind of interesting there just because it was uh, not only was Starbuck discovering that's what that was, but especially for people like me that grew up with the old show, knowing 
how the old Raiders were. It was, we were discovering at the same time that this was completely different. So, um, cause they get like back in the day, there were like three Cylon pilots inside the Raider. Mm. Um, yeah. So it was like a mystery, like, cause I, you know, watching the miniseries, I was wondering if it was going to be the same thing and having them be, um, the whole thing be a living machine was, you know, kind of mind blowing. Yeah. I thought even for me, not knowing the history or the previous version, I, Mm -hmm. when this happened, I was just like, holy shit, that is really cool. It's really creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's almost like, I think I thought about it, how like, here's these centurions, these robots with no organic material. And then whoever created the human versions sort of tested their their like hypothesis on making these ships that are partially organic yeah and then they perfected like that's the way i thought about it i don't i don't know if they ever really go into detail about how they evolved from robot metal to human humanoid yeah, they don't go into it, like, in specifics, but you do get a lot of, like, you know, they they plant a lot of seeds and have a lot of, sort of conversations that you can kind of piece together. Like, exactly what you're saying. There was, like, different different grades of experimentation mm-hmm. that happened, um, you know, like, much later in the show when we meet the, uh, the um, those pilots of the base stars. Um and we get we start to hear about like the different models and how they were built and it was all about like testing out and discovering and exploring they yeah they they mentioned stuff about the cylons and um we even get in i think it's uh razor we even get like a little throwback hint to our, our old school Cylons actually from the original Battlestar are, are like sort of like the first version of the Cylons that we that existed. Um, the ones with a little more square faces. Yeah, yeah, they were so they were based on the designs from the original show, and they appear in the end of Caprica, and they also appear, I think, in Razor. I'm not Razor. I'm in a, in. Um, uh, what's the blood and chrome? My brain's com- yeah, blood and chrome. Yeah, my my brain is completely blanking out. But yeah, blood and chrome. So back on the Galactica, there are thirteen vipers that are in need of repair, and Lee is like, "No, I need I need one right now," and I don't think that yelling at Chief is going to get him a viper any quicker. Mm-hmm. So Lee suggests that, or suggests to Adama that they have the civilian ships move closer to the moon and use the cap to search for Starbuck. And then he goes back to the deck to help piece together a Viper. And that's when he gets a call from Rosalind, who is looking for an explanation of why the civilian ships and the cap are being deployed in such a way. And she's reaching out to him as like his, her military advisor. Because she's just confused, like, is this normal or whatever? And he's like, oh, well, that was my idea. And she's appalled. And she realizes that this is personal. And then when the timer for Starbucks oxygen runs out, everyone expects the search to be over. But when Ty sort of voices this and is like, because Adam is like, well, she might have a reserve, some reserve oxygen and Ty's like, oh, like she just decided <laughs> to pack an extra bottle today. Yeah. Adama is having none of it. And it's just like, Colonel, you're relieved. Yeah. I love that scene so much. I love the salute. I love how he drops back into like military, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's great. Inside of the Raider, Starbuck is figuring out some of the biological components of this machine. She cuts out its brain so that she has room to sort of get inside. She's searching for where its oxygen comes from. I like that she's like, you are part biological. You have to breathe. There's got to be oxygen somewhere. Now, I am not a scientist. 
but this thing is dead. So I don't understand how it still has oxygen, but I'm okay with it because otherwise <laughs> Starbuck was going to die. So I will allow it, but it is a little like, okay, <laughs> you're just like, yeah, I mean, getting air out of its dead lungs. Like it doesn't really work that way, but all right. I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't take it like it was in its, I mean, in its lungs, just that it was, I don't know, in some kind of compartment and it was kind of running through some kind of vein system or I don't know. Right. Um, exactly. Like it's... it doesn't, it doesn't all like, like the fact that she's able to breathe and when she's in space, she's able to breathe still and stuff. It's like, you know, it stretches credibility, but like you said. Yeah. I'm all right with it. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm all right fine. with the fact that she just shoves her jacket into the hole that, yeah, that she blew exactly. into the Cylon Raider's brain, and that just sort of seals itself <laughs> so that she can stop having the tube in her mouth and continue to narrate for the audience what she's doing. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's not a complaint. That's... Like I'm truly not complaining. It's fine. <laughs> That's a, you know, get, not that not that I think that this was taken from that. Uh, return of starbuck but there was a feature of that episode where like because starbuck was by himself for a lot of the episodes so he had to like narrate a lot of <laughs> what he was doing they did a voiceover for uh, for some of it but some of it was just like him explaining how he was feeling <laughs> there was a point where she's like running out of oxygen but she's still talking and i'm like you're wasting your oxygen <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I thought maybe if it was like give us a voiceover, but this isn't the kind of show that gives a voiceover. Yeah, I don't. We never see that. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her like when she was explaining uh, the uh, the mechanics of flying. You know, it it was very much for the audience. Yeah, <laughs> I did appreciate yeah. that though. Yeah, no, it was perfect. It's just you know, it's funny. So here's where Rosalind calls Adama to give her condolences for the loss of Lieutenant Thrace. And Adama's like, she's not lost. Hangs up on her. So very quickly, Rosalind arrives unannounced at the Galactica. She's met by Ty, who fills her in on the history between the Adamas and Kara and Zack. He snitches. He's a tattletale. (laughs) Sure. I mean, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, he basically ran to teacher, 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 <laughs> and, like, told on. That's what he did. Well, that worked like, out really well because the talking down that the Adamas got from President Rosalind was very much your school principal. Oh, yeah. It was so good. Uh. Yeah. She makes it, or she said that it's clear that this is very personal for both of them and they have been influenced by their personal feelings to put everybody else at risk and when she words it in a way that makes it clear that if is everybody potentially dying if the Cylons show up worth like can you live with that basically are you too okay with living with maybe the destruction of the rest of the human race over this one person they seem adequately shamed. They both look very guilty. And Adama calls off the search. And then we get this scene between Lee and his father that I actually got a little teary. Not mm-hmm. full on teary, but a little teary when Lee asks Adama what he would have done if it had been him that was lost and not Starbuck. And Adama mm-hmm. says, if it had been you we'd never leave. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it and having you say it again. (laughs) Yeah. I love that scene. I love the look on Jamie Bamber's face in reaction to it. I just think it was so perfectly performed by both of them. Mm -hmm. And believable. Like, I know there's been this disconnect with these two and you know, a history of feeling neglected or whatever, but this is probably the biggest step they've ever taken to having 
a real relationship. Yeah, it's the classic, um, you know, like, they, even though the two of them are, all, are almost always butting heads, it's still that basic, like, the a boy wants the love of his father and approval of his father, and, you know, the father, like, loves his son no matter what. So you see, even even though we see them go through all these other things, it's still that, that basic human drive and in my notes i just kept writing this is so human every like every time you know as much as they were putting the fleet at risk you as the viewer totally understand like why they're doing that yeah. you know i've i felt the you know I've, i i felt the sort of like the desperation that they had um i felt that like sense of like not wanting to let go of this person that they have a complicated relationship with, especially at the moment, but they care so deeply about her. So like, even though they were like wrong in that instance, you're just like, yeah, but I like, I absolutely understand why you are doing this. Um, and kind of being put in that position to have to actually let go, like, and you're living through them in that moment. Uh, like it sends me every time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I could just like I, you know, I can. I almost cried multiple times. Um, it's just such a relatable sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. This show, as we've said multiple times, is it's about people. It's a drama mm -hmm. that takes place in space. Mm -hmm. So this is a very extreme situation, but you could have this same, the bones of the same story, not in space with the same mm -hmm. beats and it would mm -hmm. still work. Yeah. It could be a show about like a uh, mountain rescue people or something. <laughs> it could be a show about like, this is not a great comparison, but on Grey's Anatomy, there's a character who was an, a soldier and his sister was also enlisted. This would never happen, but they were like, they were both doctors. So they were stationed in the same like mash unit essentially. Mm -hmm. And she goes with a patient on a helicopter and the helicopter gets shot down. They search for her. They couldn't find her. They all thought she was dead. And years later, it turns out that the whoever Iraqis or whoever like captured her. And mm -hmm. she reappears. But it's like that same thing. Like if they decided to tell the story of the search for her. Mm -hmm. It's this. Yeah. You know. So Adama calls off the search. He tells everybody to get ready to jump. They're going to jump away just in case the Cylons come back. And then one Cylon raider appears on the Dratus. And he orders the Vipers to go out, but it's only Lee and Hot Dog who are able to get into working Vipers. Except only Lee's plane works, really. Hot Dog has problems and his launch is aborted. So Lee flies out to meet this raider, and he's commenting on how it's flying is really impressive, but also very weird. It starts flying in formation with him. And as it hovers above him, he sees that on the underside of its wings are the words Star and Buck. And he starts to laugh and yells out that it's Starbuck. And everyone cheers. And Adama's like, bring that thing on the ship. <laughs> He's so, like, happy, but still, like, I'm, you know, we gotta be, we gotta be careful. Yeah. <laughs> such a dad. Such a dad. <laughs> um, they do this little, like, wingtip thing to acknowledge yeah. each other as they fly in well so actually um that actually is uh i'm gonna go back again to old school battlestar galactica and this is a extremely random thing i remember from watching the original show like as a kid i remember talking about this the next day with friends they had the wag like they so uh i think it was uh, apollo Apollo and Starbuck, like, I think, commandeered a Cylon Raider, I think. And they were coming, heading back to the Galactica, but the Galactica didn't know who it was. And so they, the sign was to waggle your um, ship. 
Okay. And I think, yeah, so I think it was Boomer that, like, was like, why is it waggling? And I think I remember that because as a kid, I was like, what is waggle? <laughs> and so, and I, it's always stuck in my head. And so then when I, and then the, he, he realized it was, he realized it was Apollo and Starbuck. And so when I watched that episode, when it waggled, you know, I did, I was basically the, uh, the Leo DiCaprio meme <laughs> pointing to the screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, well, what is that? it was such a it's such a small thing, but again, to me, it was just like, okay, these they obviously like have they're putting little things about the show, uh, the old school show, into the new one, and so it was just a small, but it was an acknowledgement, you know what I mean? So again, and to go back to like the greater like arc of this episode, that's why I'm like really convinced that at least Ron Moore, who. Uh, you know, as the showrunner, they usually end up writing um, parts of the script to kind of right. make sure everything um, is line, uh, lined up. So, yeah, I'm, and, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that was like an intention, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So the Raider is brought onto the deck. Kara is helped onto a stretcher. She asks Lee if he likes her new toy. And then in the hospital bay, Adama comes to visit her. He asks how she is. Um, Doc Cottle is optimistic about her knee, but we'll have to see. And then he kisses her on the forehead and tells her that he's glad she's back. She asks for a stogie, and he gives her his last one. Tells her to get some rest. And this was the other time that my eyes got a little wet. Mm-hmm. Um, and all is mm. forgiven between them. Mm-mm-mm. Where we went from the end of the previous episode to here, like, yeah. oh, God, this show. I yeah, guess th- all you need I, to do when you're the reason, potentially, that someone's kid died is almost die yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was just so, like, I mean, even, you know, we talked about it in the last episode and our observations. It's like before he found out, like, talked about how he was... It was the oh, it's the one time that he sort of his guard is down when he's talking to Kara. Yeah, and um, he smiles and like almost jokes, you know. Um, and so in this scene, when he kisses her on the forehead, it's like again, like like he wouldn't do that to any obviously to anybody else on the ship, <laughs> you know. So not it's yet, just anyway. So, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's just so it's like it's like a genuine father daughter relationship, yeah. and he, he calls um, her family. Yeah, yeah. So and he, yeah, earlier he's like, we get our girl back, you know. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah. It's their relationship yeah. is sweet. Yeah, it's uh, and it gets tested. <laughs> I, you know, one thing that I that it's interesting about this episode was um. You know, Rosalind is so, uh, in, she's so integral into like getting them to move on and leaving Starbuck behind. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, kind of knowing what happens later, it's interesting how that kind of it turns out that she kind of needs Starbuck for yeah. something very important. So, so again, yeah, it's just like all those little, little places that the show goes to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just really. This episode just really kind of like I think solidified for me, and I know I think you said that, and I'm pretty sure the studio execs they all like all agree that like this that this one kind of like makes you know there's something greater going on with the show than just like pew pew pew. Yeah. So this inside of the Cylon Raider, well, the Cylon Raider, but the inside especially was constructed and designed to fit Katie Sackoff. Mm. Okay. And Katie mm. said that she was sick with the flu when she filmed the scenes inside the Raider, Whoa. which she thought gave it a sense of authenticity since she looked so beat up in the episode. She said she was like <laughs> puking in between scenes and stuff. Mm. Um, the director of this episode is named Sergio Mimica Gazan. He was mm-hmm. the assistant director on Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. And this was oh, wow. this was his first episode of television ever. Okay. Oh wow. So I thought that was really interesting. It's a really good pedigree. The... I read yeah. that 
they were color correcting the footage like on the set like on the day while they were shooting and then like punched it up a little bit more once they mm-hmm. got it to the lab or whatever they filmed it in a quarry yeah i was going to say that like um they that rock quarry is going to appear multiple times <laughs> in the <this> show <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, but that's all the really interesting trivia I got. I do have from my little book, there was a dr- schematics, basically, of three different sort of views of the inside of the Cylon Raider. I sent it to you, took mm-hmm. a little picture of it, and I'm going to post it on Twitter because I think it's really neat. When I was watching the show in its initial run, I used to get like a buzz <laughs> when I watched the episodes mm-hmm. in the it's not that that's not normal but it was it was just it was so complete and so good that i had that buzz and i don't get that very often when i watch things it's just like you know so that that's how plugged in to the show i was and um when i watched that episode again it that buzz started coming back and i just was like oh yeah that's the feeling i used to have you know mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, the, uh, with the scenes when, when they were, um, uh, when Rosalind was dressing him down and, um, when they decided they had to, to leave and then when she shows up again and all that stuff. So it's just, uh, it's, you know, very special show. And I, there's a episode in season two, I remember Ron Moore talking about acknowledging how much of a, they were lucky that everything came together for the show to be what it is. And um, so this is just the start. Yeah. So the question of was Baltar the worst this week? My answer to that was that he tried to be, but he's being mm-hmm. manipulated. Yeah. It, it's a, it was another instance of him, like, kind of sending them down the right path, but it was because he was being self-serving, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I, I would definitely say he was the worst this week. How at least for how me, is myself. it how is it self serving? Um, God, I wrote it down in my notes and I can't quite remember now. It was um oh because well because uh, six six was the one that was trying to tell him tell them to leave right yeah yeah so I. I can't I can't quite remember what the reason was. I but it was just like it was just like he, he it was like he was so motivated for them to move on. Well, cuz she was putting pressure on him, but I think my perception is she was putting pressure on him because it would get rid of Starbuck. Yeah, you think it was just you think it was specifically just because of Starbuck or Yeah, she's talking about like, well, you know, they they could show up at any time. Mhm. There's all, her little snarky comments of like I guess you'll never get to find out if she's a real blonde. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're not either. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just, it was just like, <clears throat> it was just like typical Baltar. Like, there was no reason for him to actually, like, try to motivate the fleet to move on. No. But he's he just, just, yeah. It's like he did it because she wouldn't stop talking. Yeah. It, and it, again, it, like, it, but it kind of served. It actually served the um, the ends of the fleet, so it's like it worked out for them, just like it worked out with the little device that he saw in the in the miniseries that was, uh, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, like um, highlighting Dural, like he, you know, that kind of stuff. It was just like he was trying, he was like in it for himself, but it's actually something that needed to happen. Which is, again, I go back to uh, me. Head six is literally just like a spirit guide or an angel. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really where I go with that. So, who gets full colors? Um, I'm gonna give them to Kara Thrace. Same. Yeah, she was exceptional, and you know, I I think I think earlier I I was you know I'd said and I I'd, I'd always kind of had this in my head where her acting in the first season wasn't like the greatest, mm-hmm. um, but like watching it this time, I kind of I think I'm appreciating like the choices <laughs> that she was making with her acting, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah, it's just like maybe yeah, I'm, I was probably wrong in some regards. Um, she plays the I know after season two, she sort of plays the character more annoyed, and which I I appreciate. She played she she in the in her current state in season one, she plays the character the way that the character should be, and maybe I just didn't agree with that. Um, but watching her performance, especially in this episode, you really kind of. S- see why she is <clears throat> excuse me you kind of see why she is who she is yeah. yeah i mean she proved if nothing else she proved why she is actually the best pilot mm-hmm. because she figured out how to fly this absolutely foreign machine mm-hmm. and maybe lee would have been able to do that but who knows I don't think Lee would have been able to. (laughs) (laughs) It actually made me like, you know, I make fun of her when she becomes like the the head Marine. But it actually made me like be like, no, yeah, like that's she could do anything, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, Because she just like it's not even it's not even that she's uh, not. Let me say it. It's not even that she is. um unconventional it's just she's actually really savvy yeah and the only reason she's kind of like in the position she's in um like being on the galactica and that kind of stuff but at the start of the series just because of like emotional character issues um but she actually is a very gifted um pilot it's almost like um you know if you could get out of your own way type of thing she would be better someone said that to me the other day um, so, um, <laughs> maybe like about myself, <laughs> oh, I've had <laughs> that said like, to me as well. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, yeah, I just kind of saw, I kind of see that in her. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, and when I, again, I was watching and I hadn't, I haven't really re- rewatched battles, the original Battlestar Galactic, but kind of thinking about the original, original Starbuck to a lesser degree. He, he was, he was definitely like the rogue character, but he was the best pilot. Right. And mm-hmm. so. But he definitely was like, he was like a womanizer and that kind of stuff. So you kind of see like if he actually like did the straight and narrow thing like Apollo, he actually would be in a higher position and command. Um, But just like our Carathrace, you know, they just kind of are in their own way, happy to be where they're at, you know, but they're actually, she's actually just highly intelligent, highly skilled and um, just as it doesn't apply herself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who would you throw out the airlock? Uh, Colonel Ty. <laughs> 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 he was, uh, he, I mean, I was amused by him for most of the episode. <laughs> like, but it was like the way he was talking about what would, like, he was, he was going into detail talking about, like, how Starbuck would die. <laughs> She'll cook like an egg. And like he was so descriptive and he was, it was like, he was like reveling at it. it was <laughs> he was a and, little uh, bit. Yeah. And it, and you know, the whole, like, well, she packed an extra bottle, like that kind of, it was just, he was so, and then he, and then he like goes, like he, he went and told, he tattletailed, you know? And, it just, I just was like, man, you're, you're a snitch. Um, but then, but he was also 100% correct. And that was like, that was the thing, but you know. That's how I took it. It was not snitching, but that you need to understand the context. You're new here. This is what's actually going on. I took it as snitching because like he, I mean, up to that point, he, like, he had no, he had no agreement with, uh, Rosalind whatsoever but when it was in his like favor sure. or something then he had no problem running to her and like spilling everything well I think he feels like it's not about her it's about they're putting all of us at risk and they're not being rational about this yeah and however like I said, if it were yeah. Ellen a few episodes <laughs> from now what would he yeah. do what would he do yeah 
it's just because he's so i think he's always so more like compromised like like a couple episodes before like he's he's going around the ship telling people to get their act together but he was drunk the entire episode you Mm -hmm. know like telling those people to do it so it's kind of like all of a sudden you're you're like oh we got to stick to protocol right (laughs) you know um but again, that's why it's so good because it's it's such a complex thing. Like he actually is one hundred percent correct, um, and they did need to like they were putting the fleet at risk. Um, but it also would have worked out the way it happened, you know. But we wouldn't have got that emotional like um, sequence with Adama and and Lee. So yeah. And who is your favorite Cylon this week? My favorite Cylon this week was Athena, Sharon Valeri. Mine is Starbucks' new pet. Oh, yeah. The Cylon Raider. (laughs) He saved the day in his own little way. So next week's episode is Litmus, or as it may be known, the end of the Chief and Boomer affair. Do you have any pre-thoughts? On next week's episode? I, no, I mean, not, is it, so this this episode, when, you know, when we go back to that concept of uh, the A, B, and C story, this one seemed to tie up, like, that first little, like, arc that was building. And so mm-hmm. from here, it's kind of, like, starting over again. Um, and I feel like, for me, these next few episodes, I'm not, I don't want to use the word coasts. But um, it doesn't really get particularly, like, um, peak TV again until the final two episodes. Um, but these, these, next few, these next few episodes definitely are intense. And, it, and also, like, it's the one with the Master at Arms, correct? Yes. Yeah, so um, it also kind of sets up <laughs> like the the whole idea of like you know we we went through pains of following the rules, but we're gonna find out that you know you know they definitely are gonna do things when they are expedient um, at times. So there are limits to this idea of uh, like let's follow the rules to a T to to remain civilized. I disagree that it stops being sort of peak TV until the last couple because there are some really good ones in between now and then. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's plenty of moments. I'm I definitely agree, but to me, it's like like the... Litmus Night might not be the best one, although there's some really great stuff in there. But then we've got we've got uh, Shelley Godfrey showing up and. Mm-hmm. And then we have Leo Ben showing back up. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. then we have fucking Ellen Ty. <laughs> like, that episode's called Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think kind of what I'm thinking is they it's still in that mode of uh okay, this episode we're gonna do this, and this episode we're gonna do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still, and again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and it's only in comparison to the show after the first season that like you really see where they start to go. Um, so that's all I'm saying. It's like, um, I remember each episode in terms of like what they like overall, what they're doing, um, or what they're covering, um, which is all co- like you know compelling stuff, but in terms of like an overall sense of dread, I don't think we get we really get that till the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to talking about the witch hunt that the Mastered Arms goes on. This very intense attack on Chief. And mm-hmm. the collapse of Chief and Boomer's relationship. I mean, Chief had it coming, man. <laughs> Sam. Jesus. He's got. He had it coming, and you know, I'm team. I'm team. Uh, I'm team Hilo and 
Hilo and Sharon, not Team Chief and Sharon. So well, it all works out. Different Sharon, so it's all, That's true. it all works out in that way. Yeah. All right. Well, then, do you have any last words? or This has all happened before. <laughs> it will happen again. <laughs> well, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. Bye. listening to the Geekscape Network.